Welcome to Swift Unscripted. Swift podcasts give you, the listener, the opportunity to hear the inside story and be part of the conversation about all means all with leaders in the field of inclusive education and school-wide transformation. Today, we are sharing a podcast that was recorded by Kimberly Breen with leaders in Kern County, California on the topic of student leadership. Hello, welcome to a Swift Center podcast. I'm Kimberly Breen with the University of Kansas Swift Center, and I'm super excited to be sitting here in uh, Kern County uh, with two leaders of student leadership. And so our topic today is how to empower student voice, how to help students become leaders in schools and beyond in their community. So would the two of you please uh, introduce yourselves? Sure. My name is Daryl Thiessen. I'm the Prevention Programs Coordinator in Kern County. And for the last 19 years, I've been working with a youth leadership project called Leaders in Life. And so we do a lot of leadership development, mentoring with that program, and we're excited about sharing. Excellent. Thank you, Daryl. Hi, I'm Navjot Gill. I'm currently a first-year graduate student at UC Irvine in the Criminology Law Society Department. Um, I was heavily involved in Leaders in Life um, when I was in high school and parts of middle school. Um, I was also involved in CASC um, for a number of years, which is the California Association of Student Councils. Um, So I'm happy to be here. Excellent. You have to think back, I actually went back to like middle school, almost younger, right? Um, So I'm really excited to be able to share your personal story as a student leader, and then the work of Daryl's County office when you all, you all first met when you were like 13, a freshman in high school. Excellent. Freshman or something. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So, Daryl, would you uh, tell us a little bit more about the work of the county office around leaders in life? Well, we see youth leadership as really being foundational to all the work that we're doing out of our department in partnership with schools related to positive behavior interventions and supports, multi tiered system of support so that schools can really use youth voice, youth development, to really provide a foundation for youth engagement to really improve school culture and school climate. So that said, our role has specifically been over these years to provide an opportunity for students to hear their rising voices. That's the theme they chose. And they actually have a youth leadership board of 20 students and a planning committee of about 125 that annually plan a large conference for over 2,000 students and my pride comes through in terms of talking about how that's grown. And I think it's really grown because it really has developed some amazing young leaders like that, Joe. Awesome. So let's see. Um, it was a few years back that you first started in the process. Um, how were you first asked or engaged as a youth to participate? Yeah. Um, I was first asked uh, by a friend of mine in high school. Um, she approached me and said, you know, you get to miss a day of school, you have pizza, it's really great. Um, and as a high school student, there's nothing else you want more than to <laughs> skip a day of school and have free pizza. Um, so that was my introduction to Leaders in Life. I joined and um, I was so surprised to meet a group of just passionate young leaders and students. And I knew I was in the right space right away. Um, and that was kind of the start of my journey in leaders in life and really in like student activism and student voice. Excellent. So um, impacted you in those years and then beyond as well. And so Daryl, how many youth uh, tend to stay involved? You know, is it 
do many do this for like one year or do they tend to stay involved for multiple years? We have a, about a third of our students that actually start when they're in junior high and then stay involved all, all the way through their senior year uh, in high school. And, and some who like now Joe come back uh, even as graduates. So it, it really does vary. We have other students that start when they're freshmen or sophomores. What we've learned over the years is one tip is make sure that you have that real cross-section of age of the students on your planning committee so that you don't have all these tremendous young leaders, but then all of a sudden all of them graduate and you're, you're left without that um, source of strength internally for them to share and be a mentor to their peers. So that uh, makes me think of capacity building exactly. and so much of what we do with adults that you can expect that turnover happening with the seniors leaving. Uh, and then I can also imagine maybe diversity of opinion. So you might have been one of the youngest members at the time that you started. Do you, can you kind of think back and remember how did it feel as a young person being on a team with seniors and others? It felt great to see older students, you know, leading the meetings and facilitating so many of the conversations because they were mentors to me. So it's kind of like this layered mentor process where I looked up to the sophomores and the juniors. And then I thought about myself as a sophomore and a junior. What place do I want to be and how much of a voice do I want to have? And then, you know, we had adult um, advisors like Daryl and Kevin Keyes. And, you know, those were other mentors and layers of support. Um, so that was just tremendous. Excellent. So I hear you mentioning some of the very special adults and then also referring to the youth as the leaders. So when you walk into one of these meetings, when the youth in any school doing this, um, who, who, who does it feel like is running the meeting? Like, is it an adult-led meeting or is it a youth-led meeting? It's the students. Yeah, I mean, everything from capturing the energy of the students that are attending the meeting with energizers to actually, you know, brainstorming, you know, ideas about the conference. Students are leading it every step of the way. And some of those skills to this day as a graduate student, I still have those. So we're brainstorming and I want to alternate colors or let's vote or, you know, do these things. And I'm so grateful to have this leaders in life experience where those skills were so foundational to, you know, my upbringing and kind of my high school experience that uh, even to this day it's, it's kind of the core of how I want to run and build community. That makes so much sense because Daryl and I do a lot of professional development for you know current day teachers and school staff and all of you out there listening and watching you know we go to trainings on how to run effective meetings and how to facilitate in a way that makes everyone feel like they have a voice. So Daryl you and Kevin and others were sort of like coaches to these youth, you, I'm guessing, can you talk a little bit about other, so other adults watching who might want to replicate this process, it's got to be a hard balance to kind of be in the backdrop, coaching and supporting the, adult, the youth, um, but without kind of taking over the meeting. Right? Exactly. And in fact, you know, I think I call it being in teacher mode where you want to be that teacher in charge and, and leading and, uh, what we've uh, really seen over time is that facilitating is absolutely the key. And we're in the background. Uh, we say it's a youth conference planned by teens for teens. And I truly believe it is. It, the truth of the matter is it evolved into that. And it really, when it first started out 20 years ago, now we're in our 19th conference that we just held. Um, the first few years, the adults set the agenda, created the agenda, led the meetings, reserved the rooms, and ran the meetings. 
it evolved over time after we had students who attended the California Association of Student Councils, and they did exactly what you just mentioned uh, in terms of building their own capacity to learn how to facilitate meetings, how to be great public speakers, how to really create and organize an agenda around something that a coalition or a group could really commit to, how to address people that maybe weren't on the same page. They learned all of those skills to really truly run the meetings and now they create the agenda, they lead the meetings, really the adults do a little more than actually handle some of the contracts and some other stuff. We do coach on the side and we try and deliberately make sure that that's not out front and that it's really behind the scenes you might want to think about, but never, well, I just think that's not the way to go. Right. Yeah. Excellent. So if the ideas come up from a youth, then if the other youth think it's a good idea to go, the adults aren't there to be the one to, to nay it down, right? Exactly. Even to the point I'd say, I'll say it's okay to learn from a, a failure. Yeah. Something didn't go well. Okay, now let's debrief. That's that's a life lesson. So that reminds me, um, uh, Navjo was uh, nice enough, willing to present with us at the Association of Positive Behavior Support Conference this past year. And I was able to hear a little bit about some of your stories and experiences. And that just makes me think of The Rock. Would you just talk a little bit about, you know, what starts as an early idea and could hang on? Yeah, definitely. So um, I was a sophomore or junior, kind of still developing my leadership skills and kind of my role. Um, and I had this idea at the retreat that we have. Um, to really support new members that come into the space and make them feel welcome and included. And at the time, I really loved puns, so I said, why don't we have a rock and we decorate it and we give it to new students who really stand out or put themselves out there. Um, and it's a way of saying, you rock, you know, here's a rock. So it's nothing like an expensive award, but it's something so small that has this meaning. Um, and that year we started, you know, we created a rock and every year, sorry, every month that we had a meeting, uh, we would give it to a student and then the next meeting they would bring it back and they would give it to another student. Um, and I came back a few years ago, like two years ago, and this idea of a really small rock, kind of a community-based, you know, small idea turned into something huge and there was a, I don't know how much it weighs, but it weighs so much that it was on a cart, um, a tremendous big rock um, that's given to a school that has the most spirit and is just the most engaged at the annual conference. So it goes to show how supportive and inclusive this space really is to young leaders, that you can take an idea like a small rock and make yeah. it into a big award. Um, and it also goes to show how little is needed to make students feel included. Um, because I mean, something so simple as a rock or we want to when that big rock at the conference goes a long way in the learning process. Um, so that, that was an incredible experience. Awesome. And you know, we talk so much about sustainability. It's so hard for all of us out there trying to help improve education to come up with ideas that are really sustainable, that stick around for months and years and preferably decades. And so as a young person, to see your impact in that way is awesome. And that all the young people who came after you didn't you know stop and change and have their own new idea, but instead to grow and maintain that. So that to me says a lot about the culture that's kind of uh, built within that group. So you both mentioned CASC also as a sort of um, supporting 
system and process to this leaders in life. Would you both talk just briefly about that? Sure. Uh, so we sent the first year about uh, three students over to CAST. They have a four-day summer leadership institute that at the time they held at UC Santa Barbara, and that continues to this day. We send junior high and high school students. They learn all of those uh, media facilitation skills, all of those public speaking skills, all those foundational skill sets in order to be really great leaders. But I think more importantly, they have track one, track two, and track three, so that students who maybe have come back in second or a third year, they're now learning about shadowing um, other students who are really truly running that particular four-day summer institute, and then ultimately can go through their staff development program, and then they become trained to now go back and share that at their school and through that institute. And I think that shadowing process has been key to us really building the sustainability. We now institute that as part of our own conference planning process where we have students that are juniors and seniors, and they're deliberately seeking out and finding those students that might be in junior high or freshman in high school. And then those students are shadowing. And then that, that older student is mentoring, showing them the ropes, as it were, and then really that shadowing process, now they're groomed as that next leader and they step up. Do you remember being involved in that process and how it felt to either shadow someone or have someone shadow you? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, when I first joined Leaders in Life and I saw um, the students really leading the meetings, I knew I wanted to lead a meeting one day. So I got more involved and um, I built really incredible mentors who were my friends, you know, so it was this interesting dynamic now that I look back at it, um, where I really admired them and their leadership, um, but we were also friends at the same time and we had a tremendous amount of fun. Um, and that really carries through to this day and I, I still am in contact with a lot of those folks. Um, and I still look up to them in that similar way where they're a little bit older than me, but they're still making a tremendous impact in the community. Um, so it's, it's incredible. It's so, um, so strong about community building, really, and leadership building. So that makes me think, um, one, we're going to try to make it so that those of you watching, listening can get access to the presentation that Nabjo and I did at the APBS conference because I was so impressed by um, your value on community and community building and on community members and family members having a voice in education. And I think in general, many of us still struggle with exactly how schools and families and communities can really partner to bring about the changes that are important to everyone. Would you mind commenting just a little bit? So this is fast forward. You went through Leaders in Life, mm -hmm. freshman, sophomore, multiple years. Um, now you're in a doctoral program. Um, would you talk a little bit about your passion around community and some of what you've learned or that you're working on? Yeah, so um, a lot of my research looks at neighborhoods and neighborhood change over time um, and just how uh, we can create a more equitable community um, just in different spaces. And a lot of this passion comes from my early experiences growing up in Bakersfield, but it also comes from the training and, and the activities that I was involved in in high school, um, like Leaders in Life. And then after I graduated high school, I went to Berkeley, and there I was involved with similar community-driven organizations that really kept that passion going. Um, so just from there, I 
I got more involved and now I'm a doctoral student. Um, and I, I really look at how can we create equitable societies and communities where students and families, um, especially low-income uh, families and families of color have access. Um, and that's really what my research looks at now. It's so neat because Daryl and I know from a lot of our work in school improvement, and those of you out there know that sometimes um, low-income com communities are cited as the reason for low family engagement or participation, but it doesn't have to be that way. It's not a factor of communities having lower income. It's more a factor of the partnership opportunities that educational systems afford and how we kind of look at each other and work with each other and respect differences and let folks feel comfortable, right? So often we don't even invite everyone to the table. And so um, part of these podcasts are designed to help everyone know it is possible that if you seek improved, increased family voice, student voice, community voice, there are folks figuring it out. And um, I would say sometimes it's the most simple things that actually make the biggest impact when it comes to that. And so for me, I've been such a fan of the work here around student leadership because we often talk about youth not being engaged, mm -hmm. but it's hard not to be engaged yeah. when you're in charge in some way, right? And so I think the more youth feel like it's their school and families feel like it's their school, um, we won't be worried about engagement. We'll be worried about what to do with all these great ideas and how to put them to use. So... Um, Folks out there listening and thinking, well, how would I possibly get started with increasing student leadership in my school or my district? Do you have anything that you all would like to share in terms of tips, advice, um, some like first things to get going? Um, you know, there might be states listening that don't feel like they have CASC or that they don't already have these student leadership conferences in place. Well, I would say that our process really was, from the very beginning, designed to focus around equity issues. And so, for example, the conference planning committee of around 120 students in its first year, it was just 35 to 40 students, but it was it has always been very diverse, meaning ethnically diverse, um, different schools around Kern County, private schools, public schools, students referred by their probation officer, as well as students who are uh, associated student body officers or leaders in their schools, as well as that uh, real broad range of students that really have a lot to say, but never have that opportunity to have their voices heard. And again, come from marginalized backgrounds, maybe where there just aren't those opportunities. So we very deliberately made that conscious choice, say that's what we want on the planning committee, on our executive board, and then we want to build that ladder of student engagement that allows them to, to build the skills and then for them to then support and engage others, mentor others, so that they're that hand up to their to their peers. I love it. Daryl, would you mind commenting just a little bit more about that ladder of student voice, um, which if we're able to connect the PowerPoint to this, you'll see a little graphic of it. Um, I think it, it's really helpful to get people just thinking about the kind of degrees of um, transparency, the degrees of like genuineness yeah. almost that exists exactly. along that. So I think people don't often hear the word like tokenism as yeah. we talk about student voice, but could you kind of just briefly explain that ladder? Absolutely. I think that it's, it's certainly very easy to see, oh, well, we should involve students. Students are our consumers in schools. They're the ones that we're there to educate. But I think that it can often be tokenism in terms of just saying, well, let's, 
let's, let's have a student or two students on that committee, and yet if they're not given the ability to understand how an agenda is created, how to build consensus, how to move a project forward, how to advocate for their own ability to have their voice heard without those skills, they're just simply a, a person who's at the table but not really given the opportunity other than say, oh, so by the way, what do you think? So it's really very much after the fact. So I think deliberately what the student engagement ladder is giving them the skills and the opportunities to build from tokenism to student involvement to student-led. And really it involves the adults stepping back, providing the opportunity, and then from there the students really build their skill set and they run the meetings. They facilitate, they help drive the agenda and where the work goes. And we have, as adults, need to make sure that it's just that opportunity, that empowerment, as opposed to just simply kind of that tokenism, kind of pat on the back, hey, come join us. Yes, because it's hard to be the only one. I know when we talk about other teams that exist in schools, so schools might have a PBIS team or a tier one universal team, um, leadership teams, and if we just invite, you know, one or two parents or one or two students to sit with us, if everyone else is a professional and everyone else has been to the trainings and has all this background information, but those folks haven't been to all the trainings, they don't know how to interpret the data, they might be sitting there, but they're definitely not as fully engaged and participating as they could be, um, and certainly probably don't feel um, confident enough to really interject and help to shift the way things go because we don't want to just say oh they're on the you know they're on the team we want them to have an impact on that team so um, Navjo, how about other folks out there thinking about well how would we get started or what might this do within our student body yeah I mean I think for me going through the process um, the biggest thing I took away from Leaders Alive for CAST aside from the leadership skills that Daryl mentioned um, is the idea of spark, um, which is what fuels you, what is your passion. And I think up until I joined Leaders in Life, no one actually engaged in that conversation with me. Um, so even though I had wonderful teachers and um, incredible counselors, Leaders in Life really gave me the platform to think about issues within my own community, where I fit into where you know, those issues and how I can make a difference. And so in that way, for teachers or anyone who's watching this, um, I would just hope that they ask students, what is your spark? What drives you? This is my spark. I enjoy doing this. What is yours? And getting a group of students together to even just engage in that conversation can go a really long way. Um, And whether that's at a conference or just in your classroom, um, I think just engaging in that conversation is just, it's a big step that I think a lot of students sometimes don't receive. I love that. What's your spark? I kept, I, that's what I took away from our last presentation as well. So um, we ask all of you to consider what's your spark and to consider asking your youth and your family members. Um, we know that when things are strength-driven and preference-driven, they are energy-creating instead of draining. And so we don't want to ask people to help with the work in a way that's laborious. We want them to help with the movement And so knowing their spark and letting them work on the things that they're excited about um, are going to lead to a lot more things happening, hopefully, and bringing some of those positive changes that we all hope to see happening in our communities and throughout our schools. Exactly. 
Excellent. Well, I want to thank you both for taking the time to join us in the SWIFT podcast. Um, we hope those of you listening feel encouraged and motivated to take the next step to increase student leadership and voice in your schools and community. Thank you very much. Take care. If you want to know the full story about equity-based MTSS, just go to swiftschools.org where you can find lots more resources and stories in the field of school-wide transformation. SWIFT Education Center provides support in equity-based MTSS and inclusive education to promote the learning and academic achievement of all students, including students with disabilities and those with the most extensive needs.